Since we're not given to people as a condition of relationship, we learned that a couple, uh, several weeks ago, that, that we think that, that the Ten Commandments oftentimes are what you have to do to enter into a relationship with God. That's not the case at all. The fact of the matter is, is that God gave these commandments to people that already belonged to him, that were already in a relationship with him, and they were a confirmation. These commandments were a confirmation of a relationship, not the condition of a relationship. It wasn't just, here's a bunch of rules, and if you keep them, I'll like you, and if you don't, I won't, and if you keep them, you get into heaven, and if you don't, you don't. It, it wasn't given to be that way. If you ask somebody, especially if you ask an American these days, what do you, you know, are you going to heaven? The, the answer that you're going to get is yes, and if you say, why? Well, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. And if you say, well, can you name the Ten Commandments? Well, that's always an adventure, isn't it? Even for those of us who've been going to church for a long, long time to think, well, I've got to come up with all ten. In fact, I was talking to somebody not long ago, and, and we started talking about whether or not we could list all ten commandments. And I, I questioned whether or not I could, off the top of my head, give you all ten in one sitting. He said, come on. I said, no, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, it's not like that's something I study every day. And I said, I think if I you know, took a shot at it over the course of 24 hours, I might be able to come up with all of them. But, you know, in the first go through, I don't know that I could do that. And he said, come on, you, you got to be. So I said, okay, you do it. Well, then that was a different story. Uh, he, he suddenly struggled a little bit with the Ten Commandments. Um, typically, we scramble around and we say, you know, if you keep these, you're going to be in. And, and we start with thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal, because those are the ones that we really know and those are the ones that we really understand. And that's about it. You know, and there's something in there about mama that you're supposed to, you know, be good to mama and, and you're supposed to obey what she says. And what we're learning is that the Ten Commandments were re really never given as a means to access heaven. It wasn't given as a means to, to gain access to God. Um, they were given to a group of people that had already accepted a, a relationship with God. And, and he had redeemed them for himself, and he, he had kind of bought them out of slavery. And he said, now that you are absolutely mine, and I am absolutely yours, these are some rules that I want you to live by. And it's the same thing that happens in your home and my home. I have rules for my kids. If you've got kids, you've got rules for those kids. And you've established those rules, and here's the thing. Your kids don't have to live by my kids' rules because your kids aren't my kids. The same thing happens for you. If you have people that work for you, you've got certain rules that you have established for the people who work for you. I have rules for the people who work for me. The people that work for you aren't expected to keep the rules that I have for the people that work for me. In fact, you don't get to work for me by keeping the rules. You, you keep the rules because you work for me. That's the, probably the way it is, and it is the way it is if you have employees or if you have people that work for you. In the whole book of Exodus, where the, the Ten Commandments are found, there's no mention of heaven. There's no mention of eternal life. There's no mention of life after death because the Ten Commandments were given to a group of people who already were in as far as God was concerned. I, you belong to me. I love you. I, I, I want to have a relationship with you. It was a confirmation, again, of, of that relationship. It was not a condition of it. We also learned that you can tell an awful lot about someone by the rules that they keep. The people who work for you, if you have rules that you've set up, they know a little something about you by the rules that you lay down and what you say needs to happen in order to be able to continue to do that. What we've learned about God is that he is way more into recognition than he is obedience. Now, some of you are going to hear that and think, whoa, wait a minute. 
I don't know that I buy that. But the way the Ten Commandments are laid out for us, it is absolutely true. If you really begin to look at the Ten Commandments, I think I can say that, and there are other passages of Scripture later on in the Old Testament, especially I could quote you some, that, that really bear this out, that God is way more into recognition than he is obedience. He wants you to know who you're dealing with before you start about the process of trying to obey whatever it is that he has said for you to do. He says, I want you to, I want you to know who I am. I want you to get a, a, a real picture of, of what's important to me, who I am, what I'm about, what I want you to be about before we start this process of you and the Ten Commandments. I don't want you to have any other gods before me. It's the first thing he said. Don't, don't put anybody else in front of me and don't try to make a god like me because you can't. You're not able to do that. Don't try to shrink me down. Don't try to make me manageable. I told you I've got this book in my office called The Trivialization of God. I think we, we really are pretty good at that. I think what God wants from us is for us to wake up every morning. We've talked about this before. That God wants us to wake up every morning and say, yes, God, now what's the question? Yes, I'll do it. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I just need you to tell me what it is that you want me to do. We, we have a tendency. We See, we don't like that. Let me back up. We don't like it when our kids aren't willing to do that for us. We want our kids to be willing to say yes to us before we, they know what we're asking them to do. Hey, I need you to do something for me, honey. Well, what is it? Well, will you do it? Well, I don't know. What is it? We, we want our kids to be on board with the idea that they can trust us, that we're not going to send them into harm's way, that if we're going to ask them to do something, there's a good reason for us to ask them to do it. Really, if you get the first two commandments right, everything else just kind of follows and takes care of itself. Because I think what God's trying to say in the first two commandments is this, depend on me, trust me, know that I have your best interest in mind, know that when I give you something to do, I have a good reason for doing it that way, just trust me and depend on me and everything's going to be fine. And the fact that I have given you my law really confirms for you, God would say to us, that you are my people. Today we come to the third commandment, and it's, it's one of the most misunderstood commandments probably of the ten and if you were pressed, you know, in that, in that short period of time, give me the Ten Commandments, you probably would come up with this one. You, you probably would get to a place where you would say, well, I, I know that that's one of the Ten Commandments. It comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. We're going to look at the first part of it first. And, and then it's really, this is the only passage of Scripture we're really going to be in. I'm going to quote a couple a little later, but this is the main passage for the morning. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, growing up, we heard that a little differently, didn't we? That's not quite how we grew up quoting that verse. Let's, let's say it the way we used to say it. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Is that how you learned it? And, and pretty much, the way this commandment was applied was, thou shalt not call out God's name when you hit your thumb with a hammer. That's pretty much how we applied this verse. Thou shalt not call out God's name when you get angry. And for some reason, the whole third commandment got shrunk down to don't yell God's name. Don't yell God's name when you come across something that needs to be condemned. Don't yell out God's name or the Savior's name when you get mad. And that's how we've applied the third commandment for most of our lives. That's how we've understood it. And so we say, well, that's the third commandment. Let's move on to the fourth commandment. It's pretty simple. That's pretty easy to explain. But that is not the third commandment. Now think about this. God gives 10 commandments, and then he adds to that another couple of hundred different things that, that are kind of variations on the 10 commandments and interpretations maybe and, and some ways to live those out. And, and, and 
you know, there's a, there's a whole lot that follows. But God's going to give us ten commandments. And he's going to start off with, don't have any other gods before me. And then he's going to say, don't make any other kind of gods. And then the third commandment is, and oh, by the way, don't yell my name when you get angry. I mean, really, don't you think that, that the third commandment would have a little bit more weight than that? Don't you think that the third commandment would, there'd be a little bit more behind it than just don't yell when you hit your thumb with a hammer. That's not really what I want you to do. That's not what this commandment is about. And it's probably, you know, it's, it's probably a good idea that we not yell God's name when we hit our thumb with a hammer. I mean, that's, do what you want, but I, I think it's probably a good idea that you not do that. In fact, growing up, did you ever have rules that were in place to keep you from breaking this rule? Did your parents ever set certain words out of bounds for you? Words like, gosh. Like, how many of you were not allowed to say gosh growing up because it was too close to God? Was it, is there anybody that, couple, not, or G? weren't allowed to say G because it was too close to Jesus and you didn't, they want you saying Jesus because you take the Lord's name in vain. I, I heard about a guy as I was getting ready for this that um, he came to Christ kind of late in his life and when he, when he would hear someone use the Lord's name that he considered in vain, you know, they would, they'd, they'd say Jesus Christ and he'd say, loves you. And, and he might be, you know, in the grocery store four aisles over, and someone would say that in that way, and, and he would call out across the aisle, loves you, he never let it go any other way. I, had a, I worked for a guy when I was about 19 years old. One of my bosses was just a foul-mouthed man. I mean, horribly foul-mouthed. And we were getting ready for inventory one time, and I was, uh, we were getting ready for a visit. I was working in a re- retail store, and, the, and the, the brass were coming in the next day, and they were going to inspect our store and we were trying to figure out this display thing and I was working on it and trying to make it right and he had come over to try and assist me and we were kind of working on it together and he was kind of like over all of hard lines and so he, you know, he's got a lot of pressure on him he's got to present to his bosses and, and everybody was calling his name the intercom, the store was closed but the intercom was just going crazy calling his name uh, Mr. Vice, we need you here Mr. Vice, we need his aptly named by the way his name was Mr. Vice and and. Mr. Vice just kept getting paged and kept getting paged, and he would go answer the page and he'd come back and we'd work on this thing. And finally, somebody paged him, and he used the most foul stream of words, and Jesus Christ was included in that stream. I mean, in ways that I have never, not ever to that point heard, and not after that have I ever heard someone use the Lord's name like that. And, and as bad as that is, and as much as I know that that's not what you're supposed to do, that's not what this verse is talking about. Uh, the commandment is much, much bigger than that. In fact, 200 years or 300 years later after this was, was uh, handed down, we started to have these people that, that were so afraid that they would misuse the Lord's name, uh, they decided that at all costs the name of God had to be protected. And here's what they did. Whenever there were scribes, and that's really in the old days before there was Xerox, before we had a printer and Gutenberg came along with the printing press, before all that, how did we get scripture? How did we have any book? We had scribes who very meticulously wrote out the things that, that uh, were written, and they would, they would copy from this to this. And so you can imagine how tedious that got at times. But in order to make sure that they didn't misuse the name of God, the scribe would come up, they would, they would oftentimes write the word God with a different pen and different ink than everything else that they wrote. So that you know, they, they were so committed to not accidentally misusing the name of God that they would, they would literally change the pen and change the ink. So it would, it would kind of look like this. In the beginning, 
God. And that, that was how they practiced not misusing the name of God. Now, by the time Jesus shows up, all these rules about misusing God's name, you know, they, they were being violated in all kinds of different ways. The very uh, commandments that people were trying to keep, um, they were actually abusing and, and misusing. Look at the verse again. We're in the NIV, and it's a, it is a great translation for the Hebrew of this particular passage. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, here, here's what that means. It means don't associate my name with something that I am not associated with. Don't leverage my name to accomplish something that I really don't have any stake in, that I really am not interested in, that I I really couldn't care less about. Don't use, this is really what it's saying, don't use my name for your purposes. Don't leverage my laws, don't leverage my commands, don't leverage my name for things that I'm not committed to doing. And the reason he gives this law up front is because he knows the hearts of people. He knows that generally at our core, we're looking for a loophole. I mean, really, when you go to work and they hand you the rules at work, don't you start to scan the rules and see, okay, what am I and what am I not allowed to do? What, what are the loopholes in this thing? In fact, when I was a youth pastor, one of the things that, I, I mean, I learned a lot about kids as a youth pastor, but one of the things I learned was that kids instinctively look for a loophole. Kids instinctively look for a way to get around the rules that you make. I would be trying to institute a game. You know, I'd be trying to show them, we're going to play this new game. And I would be teaching, teaching them the rules to the game. And you could see the wheels start turning as to how, because it's all about winning the game. And if you're going to play a game in youth group, it's, it's, this is America, baby, and we've got to win. So, so they start, you could, especially the guys, you could see the guys, the wheels start turning about how they could cheat the system and... and circumvent the rules in fact i would try to play some games in the and we, we would eventually just have to stop playing the game because i couldn't uh come up with enough rules to stop them from breaking the rules and i'd say you know this is not working i mean you guys you're so stinking smart <laughs> about getting around rules in fact isn't that true with a criminal a lot of times some of the smartest people are criminals because they they spend all this time figuring out how to get around all this stuff and i'm like you know what if you'd apply that at a job you'd be great um but but we want to circumvent things we're looking for a loophole And so before he gets to murder and before he gets to don't steal things, God comes to the place where he says, look, don't make the mistake of trying to leverage my name for your own purposes. Because he knew that there were things coming that he was going to introduce to them, new laws and new commands and new new ways of doing business. And he said, "I, I know your heart. And your heart is, you're going to want to try and circumvent. And you're going to try and want to set this whole thing up, look for a loophole to get around the things that I'm trying to accomplish with you don't do that don't use my name really in some ways against me it would work like this if you have a business if you're a business person and you own the business and someone you found out someone was out in the community representing you and your business making decisions and pulling the trigger on deals and you had you had no idea that it was going on and then you finally find out that somebody is out there representing you using your name to make business deals and you call them into your office you say what are you doing they say, well, I knew that if I told them that, that it was me and that they thought it was just me and that it wasn't you, that they wouldn't let me do what I was trying to do or that they wouldn't deal with me the same way. So I just used your name to get this stuff done because I figured that was the best way to do it. Now, they may have been doing stuff that you absolutely weren't on board with at all and you didn't want anybody doing, and you would say, well, that's, what, you know, what are you, what are you doing? And they say, well, I got stuff done that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten done. 
you'd be furious. I think you'd be uh, fairly upset that they had used, misused, and abused your name. Uh, that can kind of happen sometimes around here. That, you know, when, you're, when you're, your kids, pastor's kids, are here in the building, sometimes they, they just, this is like their second home. And sometimes they'll do things just because they think they're the pastor's kid. They can just do whatever they want to do. You ever known? I, I'm so scared to death that I'm going to raise typical pastor's kids. You know what I'm talking about? The typical preacher's kid? I'm so scared to death I'm going to do that. I think that I'm probably way harder on my kids than I should be because I'm, I'm really afraid that I'm going to have one that I can't control and is going to give me a bad name. But anyway, they'll come to church and they know things about church that other people don't know. They know where all the cool stuff is. They know where all the to- toys are. If there's food in the church, they generally know where the food is in the church. The, if there's a, you know, they'll come into, when I'm having meetings with people in my office, they'll just kind of walk in and walk in and get into my refrigerator, you know, because it's good to be the pastor's kid because you can get into the pastor's refrigerator and help yourself. And if you're a friend of the pastor's kid, that's cool too because check that out. And so, and what they're doing is they're, they're kind of operating on my name. And they could, if they were tempted and set up the right way, they could misuse my name. They're taking my name and my position, and they are leveraging that for their own benefit. That's what this commandment's about. It really isn't about yelling at, at God, uh, yelling out God's name when you're mad. And, and, you know, do we really need a commandment for that? I mean, really, do we, do we really need to have God say, and by the way, don't scream my name when you hit your thumb with a hammer. That's not cool. Don't try to dodge the love of God. Don't try to dodge the will of God, the purposes of God, and the name of God. Historically, there are so many things that have been done that way that it's just not even funny. I mean, starting with the Crusades, you can, you, and even before that, people have done things in the name of God that God would have said, hey, I'm not about that at all. I, I, I never said that. I never wanted you to do that. I, I, that's not something that really, that didn't even really matter to me, and you, you're making a big deal out of that. Uh, preachers have done this politicians have done this they have used god's name to accomplish their will and their purpose and and they've said look this is this is what god wants to happen and so we're going to make a rule for it or we're going to do it this way and god's saying hey hey i i didn't that's not what i'm about you're making that a big deal that's really not all that big a deal to me they have hijacked the name of god in order to accomplish their own will you probably have your own story you, you probably could, somebody in here could say, you know what, I, ran, I went to a church once upon a time where the preacher did that and they had all these rules set up that they said that God really thought were important and all they did were use those rules to hurt people. And all they did were to use those rules to make people uh, feel bad about themselves and to feel like God doesn't love them and, and, and to make these people feel horrible. And really, if you really dissect it, a lot of times what those rules do are used to control people to get them to do what X leader ever wants them to do and and it may have gotten to you and it may have hurt you and you may have left a church at one point or another over that we have people i talk to people all the time who have had a bad experience in church somewhere and when they're talking to me and they find out i'm a preacher it's like man the walls go up because last time i dealt with a preacher uh, he he set a bunch of limits and put up a bunch of rules what he'd done is he had misused the name of god and it was all done in the name of god and looking back it had nothing to do with god they misused the name of the Lord and they overlooked the love of God for their own agenda. Now I want to throw out to you, and, and this is not a, a new idea with me, this is, I'm not smart enough for that, but I, I think that what I'm about to tell you is, is brilliant. I think that what God really is trying to say in this particular um, commandment 
Is it possible that what God's trying to say is, thou shalt not establish religion? Thou shalt not establish religion. That is, don't you dare come up with a bunch of rules and tack my name onto it and try to accomplish things in my name that I have nothing to do with which is exactly what religion is and it's why I can't stand to be called religious it's why I don't want you to try to be religious don't, don't live by a bunch of rules and then say that's God that's what God's all about is that we just live by this, this bunch of rules that, that so undersells who God is and what he's doing in our life to think that well if I do this, this, and this and I keep this, this, and this then God's going to love me and God's going to be happy with me and God would say I never said that now, now, sometimes we, we, we do just enough of a variation on things that God would look at us and say, well, I kind of said something like that, but I didn't say what you're talking about, and I didn't say it that way. I think what God's saying is, don't you harness or leverage the law that I'm about to give you to make it meet your own agenda. Now, that's exactly what happened by the time that uh, Jesus showed up. By the time Jesus shows up, there's this group of people uh, religious leaders and there was a whole community and they had a, a, a wide uh, array of laws a whole mountain of laws and traditions that were nothing more than loopholes and it was uh, a list of things that allowed them to dodge the will of God in the name of God they, they, they established this system that allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do and they supported it by saying well this is what God says that we should do and they were violating clear teachings of God in the name of God for instance Jesus shows up and, and he comes to the temple and what he finds in the temple are these people that have gathered and they've set up tables and they're, they're selling uh, sacrifices and this is the way that, that this was the racket that was going on you would be coming to make an atonement for your sins for, to offer a sacrifice you'd come to the temple and you would you know the, the Bible said bring a, a, a an animal without blemish and so you would bring the best animal that you could find in all sincerity to make your sacrifice at the temple of course at the temple you had to present your sacrifice and have it inspected and if your sacrifice didn't measure up and wasn't good enough they would not allow you to to allow that animal to be sacrificed of course if that were the case and you had traveled a long distance many times days and sometimes weeks to make your sacrifice they knew that you weren't going to go back home and try and find another one that you probably had picked the very best one you had but if it didn't measure up what's a guy to do so lucky for you we sell replacement sacrifices and so we're going to deny your sacrifice and say it's not good enough we'll confiscate that one by the way and we'll put that one in the pen and we'll sell that one to the next guy that comes along but we're going to sell you this sacrifice so that you can go in and you can make a sacrifice at the temple now it didn't stop there you also had to change your money the, the currencies were different and so they would change out the money um, and when they would do that oftentimes they would take advantage of people and you would lose money in the exchange and they were they were making huge profits on people taking advantage of them uh, when they would come in all sincerity to make a sacrifice and and to do this deal these people that were in the temple would take advantage. And Jesus shows up, and he sees what's going on, and he just gets furious. I mean, he went crazy. It's always, I'm, I'm, the older I get, the better I am with the whole idea. But for the longest time, the whole idea of Jesus cleaning the temple really bothered me because I could not reconcile in my head that, you know, like it or not, whether he liked what was going on or not, those tables didn't belong to him, that money didn't belong to him, those animals didn't belong to him, and yet here he is, he's just making a scene in the temple. 
But, but he comes and he says, Luke 19, 45 is where we find that story. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. In other words, you have hijacked my house. You, you have changed it. You've used it for your own gain and you've taken advantage of people using my name. And he said, the eighth commandment says thou shalt not steal and you have dodged the clear teachings of God in the name of God. And he got ticked off because somebody had hijacked the temple in the name of the Father. Later on, uh, there's another story in Mark uh, chapter 7 where the disciples or the, the, uh, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of, of hypocrisy because he's not washing the right way. He's eating with unwashed hands, a ceremonially, ceremonially um, unclean hands. And, and they're getting on him and the disciples because they've done that. And he says, don't, don't accuse me of breaking the law. You're, you're, the, you're the hypocrites. You're the ones who break the law. He says, the Bible says, honor your father and mother, but here's what you guys do. See, there was this, this, um, there was this custom that the Pharisees came up with that you could take your possessions, everything that you have, and you could dedicate everything to God. You could say, God, I'm gonna dedicate everything to you. All my worldly goods, they all belong to you, and I'm gonna hang on to them because I know you don't need them right now. I'm gonna hang on to them uh, in the event that you should need them. And even though, you know, you can see what's going on there, they know God's never gonna say, hey, you think I could, you know, have the keys to the chariot that you've, you've dedicated to me? Didn't, wasn't gonna, you know, that wasn't gonna happen. God's not gonna ask for it back. And once you dedicated all your worldly goods to God, if your father or your mother needed help, you could in all good conscience look back at them and say, Mother, I would love to be able to help you out of my vast wealth, but everything that I have has been dedicated to God, and so I can only give you this little bit in return. And they were using God to disobey the commands of God, and they had obviously violated the commandment that said, Honor your father and mother, and Jesus called them on that. They had established a system to help them bypass God, and Jesus was furious about it. Now, we do this too. You see, we, we've learned this little verse in scriptures. If you've been in church for very long and you've run across this one, you've thought, oh, I'm going to remember that one because that get me out of trouble. Listen to this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's 1 John 1, 9. And we, I learned that when I was a little kid. They should never teach a little kid that verse of scripture because we hear that and we think automatically loophole loophole that explains a whole lot to me because now i can go over here and sin and i just come back and confess it and god is faithful and just and he will forgive my sin and whoo i'm back in it now i've got a system i've got a grace system where i can function and i can do what i want to do and i can in some way be in some good standing with god isn't christianity great you can do what you want to do and then you can go confess it all and ask god to forgive you and he forgives you way to go and God's you know I, I, at that point the picture I have in my mind is we think that God looks like Kramer from Seinfeld you got me you know didn't, didn't see that coming I, I you guys are really slick I, I never saw that coming that you would figure out that if I forgive you you could just sin and just keep forgiving and keep forgiving and many of us have played that game what have I done I've leveraged the word of God for my ends because really at the end of the day I want to be God I want to be the king of my life. I want to be the master of my life. And I want to call the shots. And I don't want God telling me what to do. And so if I can figure out a way to do what I want to do and then confess it and be forgiven for it, then it's all okay. 
And I use the Lord's name and his grace and his mercy and his goodness in vain whenever I do that. Now, if, you're, if you come from a Catholic family, this has a little different slant for you than it does for us Protestants. Uh, in the Catholic version, you just do what you want to do, and then you go to confession, right? And you just say, con- tell your con- do your confession, and he gives you so many Hail Marys to say, and you go out, and everything's good. I mean, we've all got a system. We've all figured out a way to get around these things. We think we've found the loophole where God's concerned. That verse, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. That verse was not given to us to (laughs) encourage us to sin. That verse was given to us to keep us from sinning and to keep us abiding in Christ in a way that we would avoid sin. It wasn't given to us so that we we would do it. There's an incredible warning attached to this commandment. Listen to this. This is back at at, uh, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You know what that means? I think God says, you may think you have fooled me. You may think that I don't know what's going on. You may think that you have all this worked out. I think God would look at us and say, do you think I'm stupid? Do, do you think I don't know what you're up to and that, that I don't see how you're going about this whole thing? The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You don't get away with it. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, have, we've all gotten away with it, haven't we? Haven't you, at some point in your life, used God's name to accomplish something or to get something done or to, to, to manipulate somebody in a way that you wanted them to, to do whatever it was that they did and they did it your way? What kind of punishment is there if you uh, use the, the Lord's name in vain? Seemingly, all of us have done that. I don't know specifically, but I can tell you generally. You see, the group that was given the assignment to recognize the Messiah were the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Their job was to look for the Messiah, and when they found the Messiah, to identify him and proclaim him and make sure that everybody knew that he had showed up. That was their job. And, and when Jesus showed up, they were so into their rules, and they were so into to doing things the way they had established that it should be done, they were so into control that when Jesus actually showed up and they were nose-to-nose and face-to-face with the Son of God, the Messiah, they missed him. They did not recognize him because they'd made a lifestyle out of missing the name of the Lord, and they had missed God completely. Now, let me tell you what will happen if you make a lifestyle out of missing the name of God. You'll talk about God, You'll invoke God's name at all the right times. You might even pray when you get in trouble. And you could spend your whole life talking about God and miss him entirely. You see, people who seem to to be really in tune with God, you, you see people like that and you say, you know, they talk about a relationship with Christ and they, they seem to have such a, a solid walk and they seem to be so close and, and yet when I look at my life, there's no intimacy with God. There's no relationship that I can feel. And what is it that's missing for me? But when I look at them, they seem so full. They seem, they seem like they're, they're really in tight with God. They seem to understand God, and God seems to understand them. And God really seems to matter in their life. And yet I, I pray. I, I talk about God. I think about God, and I don't feel that way. I don't have that. It's empty for me. And I don't know if if that's the consequence of this verse or not, this commandment, but I do know that it's the consequence of a life that is lived trying to uh, find the loopholes in the system so that you can live the way you want to and and not have to worry about what God's going to do to you. 
Because those who have tried uh, the sin and confess, sin and confess, sin and confess mode, you do that for years and years, and at the end of the day, there's going to be something missing. And you're going to come up and you're going to say, there, there's no intimacy in my walk with Christ. And then the bottom drops out, and then you start praying, and you don't really pray with any confidence because you don't really feel all that close to God to begin with because you know in your heart you've been playing. And you, and you know in your heart that, that all you've done for a long, long time is you, you've just looked for loopholes to be able to get around some of the things that you think God may want you to do. And God s- establishes this, and, and this is kind of what he expects, but you also figure out that I can, you know, I can do this and justify it because certainly God wants me to be happy and God wants me to have what I want. You see, this commandment is an invitation to honesty. And, and this is really, at this point in the message, this is what I would say to anybody. If you're listening to this, you're thinking, okay, where's he going with this? This is what I would say. If you are gonna be a person who wants to use loopholes to try and figure out where is the place that I can kind of get through this whole thing and be undetected by God, where is it? Where can I find the place where I can behave the way I want to behave and, and it be okay with God or, or that God wouldn't be mad at me? Here's what I would say to you. Just, you know, if you want to sin, just go ahead and sin. I mean, don't try to hide it from God like as if, as if you can do something and think that God's not going to see it or that God's, you know, not going to punish you or, you know, as if in some way you can play him and treat him like he's stupid, like he doesn't know what's going on in your head and your heart that he doesn't know what's happening in your life? Quit playing a religious game with God. Be, be upfront and honest with God. Not because he's not gonna punish you necessarily, but because you're gonna miss him. If you, if you, God would say, if you wanna live your life your way, that's fine. Just tell me that. But if, if you would just tell me that, at least you're being honest with me. If you, if you just tell me what your struggles are, at least you're being honest with me. If you would come and say, God, um, you know, this is my struggle. This is where I fight. This is, this is what's going on in my life. I'm not even doing a very good job, God, of resisting this thing. It's a problem for me. You know, I think, I think God way more appreciates that than the person who does whatever they want to do and tries to in some way slap God's name on the way they live life and say, wait up, save by grace, you know. It's a great system. I do what I want to do and I confess my sins and God's faithful and just. First John 1, 9, that's what happens. God says, look, if, if that's the way you're going to be about it, I just, I just wish you would just tell me right up front what you're going to do. Just be honest with me because if you're not honest with me, you're going to miss me. Are you playing games with God? Do you do what you want to do and just seek forgiveness later? Would you at least own up to that this morning if you could strip all the games away then God would have access to your heart and here's the really cool thing if you can just get on a gut level place with God and and I gotta confess to you there's places where I'm pretty good at this and there's other places where I'm horrible at this there's there's certain parts of my life that I'm I'm you know I, I I'm a train wreck and God knows I'm a train wreck and there's other parts of my life that I, you know, I dress it up and make it look spiritual and God don't, you know, this is what's going on. And I'll use God's name to kind of make, try and find the loophole. God says, look, when you do that, would you just understand that you are robbing intimacy from your life where I'm concerned? Just be honest with me. But the hope is that you would get honest enough with God that one day 
you could look at the at the games and say you know what i don't even want to do that anymore i mean i've been so honest with god in this area we've dealt with it on such a level and we've wrestled with it and and it's been something that that i've been very honest with god about that that now i'm to a point that i can honestly say i don't even want that anymore because god will have total access to your heart because you have decided to be honest with him if you dodge god you will certainly miss him it's all about honesty this morning i don't know uh, you know how this has practical application for you a lot of times at the end of a message i'll try to really pinpoint this to a specific person in a specific place where i say okay how does this fit us it, it, it's going to fit you differently because i don't know what games you play with god but i know that generally speaking when we have our prayer time one of the hardest things for us in prayer time when we get alone i, I think it's possible that one of the reasons we avoid prayer is because we don't want to be honest with god because we're, we're afraid to confront some of the things that, that we do and some of the feelings we have and, and so, some of the ways that we approach him and all the baggage and all the stuff when what God really wants. I mean, it's the same thing with you and your kids, right? If you've got kids, you know that no matter what's going on in your kid's life, no matter how bad it is, you, you may not like hearing it, but you know you want them to tell you everything. Am I right? I mean, it may hurt. It may be painful. You may not like it, but don't you appreciate your kids when they come to you and say, Dad, Mom, I'm going to lay it out. This is what's going on. This is, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm having a hard time, and I'm not trying to hide it from you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I just want you to know this is who I am and where I'm coming from. That is all God wants from you. God wants the honesty from you, enough honesty from you to be able to come in and just lay it all on the table and say, God, this is me, and I'm, this is where I struggle, and this is what I'm having a hard time with, and this is what I want. And sometimes I take steps to get those things that that I know are not in your will and not in your way. But God, this is what I don't want to happen. I don't want to misuse your name, and I don't want to in some way apply all this stuff to my life and be able to do it all and say that you're just fine with it. I know better. So when you come across this passage, do not misuse the Lord's name. Whenever you hear, don't take the Lord's name in vain, it's not about screaming when you hit your thumb with a hammer. It's about trying to manipulate God and manipulate uh, his will and, and the way he looks at you based on how you're performing and trying to find a loophole in the system. Don't be like the Pharisees. Just be honest. And in that honesty, God will lead you to a place of better intimacy. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we are so good at the games. We, we hide. We are scared to death other people are going to know what we're thinking and what we're about and, and how we manipulate and uh, Father, a lot of times it's just done in an effort to get what we want because we want to be the king of our life and we're ultimately we're very selfish people. But Father, we know that, that honesty is truly is the best policy. It's hard for us because if we're totally honest, it's going to show a side to us that we, we don't like and we definitely don't want anybody else to see. But Lord, it's in that honesty, it's in that, that vulnerability, it's in that place where we just come and lay it bare before you that you're able to look at us and say, okay, first of all, I already knew that about you. And second of all, here's steps that you can take to maybe address that. But, but through it all, I pray that this morning we would hear God say that he loves us. That no matter what game you've played and no matter how you've tried to cheat the system that you we would hear God say I love you Lord we would say that back 
we love you. And we're thankful for what you did on the cross because we know that in the cross and on the cross, all of our stuff was dealt with. All of our sin taken away, forgiven for those of us who would believe. So this morning, Father, we do come and we do come as honestly as we know how. We lay it before you. We claim your grace and we claim your forgiveness. And and it's my prayer, Lord, that this morning we would just look at you and say, I'm not playing games anymore. This is me. Help us, Father, to truly keep this commandment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.